And wow, difficult words again. Um, we are in chapter 11, so that means uh, chapter 12 is the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. There's hope uh, that we will get through it. Uh, life under the sun is difficult. It beats down on us. Uh, some of you feel that after the sermon series. You feel the beat down of week after week of challenge and trial. Um, this book has spoken to us of uh, life after the fall, outside of Eden. Ten chapters of the difficulty, the trials, the struggles of life outside of the garden. Not how we hope to be, right? It's a great book. Uh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It was not God's original design to go through the sorrow and the trials and the suffering that we've experienced. And the preacher has made those things very clear. If you haven't gotten anything, you've gotten that message, right? Life is difficult. If your head's in the sand and you haven't experienced difficulty, FYI, it's hard. It's challenging. Hopes and dreams have been cut short, or they never come to fruition at all. Brokenness seems to be the backdrop of everything, even our best moments. And with that comes a sense of uncertainty. Because of the trials and difficulty, life seems uncertain, at least from human perspective. As we look, we look at life, and there's uncertainty, right? It's, it's fragile. We don't know. He seems to press into that in this chapter, chapter 11. Notice the uncertainty. I think there's some verses up there uh, pertaining to this. Perhaps. Maybe there's uncertainty whether they'll show up or not. Gosh, I hate cheesy preacher jokes. But you feel like you have to fill the gap when things aren't working? I'm sorry. Uh, to be, listen to this. He says, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. It's unknown, right? Who knew a pandemic was happening last year? It's unknown. Verse 5, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. We don't know how God forms the little baby in the womb. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. There's the mystery of God. It's unknown. We don't know. We scratch our heads. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or maybe both of them will prosper. We don't know. We don't know uncertainty with reality. Verse 3 speaks of, uh, again, something of the way life is. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. You know, does a tree make noise in the woods if no one hears it right? Yes, it does. It falls, it's there. So is life. It's basically what he says. It's life. It is what it is. Some ways, that is the way life goes. Life could go this way. Life could go that way. Uh, we're not fortune tellers. We don't know the future. Will we prosper? Will disaster come tomorrow? We don't know. So given that from our perspective, life is uncertain, what do we do? How do we live? Do we throw up our hands and become cynical and jaded? That's well, life. You know, we're the, the crusty old man, you know. And life's just miserable and never turns out and we just complain. It is what it is. Never works out. We become jaded. Does, is life just a roll of the dice? You know, we're at Biloxi. Hopefully we'll turn out. Maybe we'll win a few bucks. Most time we don't. What do we do? How do we live in the uncertainty and the brokenness of life? 
We're going to see two things in these verses. Verses 1 to 6, I think there's a call to live boldly. Life's uncertain. What do we do? We live boldly. We don't know what's going to happen. It could go well. It may not. So live into it. We can't control God. We can't control our circumstances. We don't have, we don't have certainty about how things will go. So what's the solution? To, to cower back? To stay still? No, he says, actually, we're going to move out with boldness. Is there feedback? A lot of feedback coming? I'm, I'm hearing that. Is there, can we cut that down just a hair, maybe? Thanks. Y'all, y'all hearing that? Just me. Okay. What a night. What a night. Um, will God bless us? Will it not go well? Will it turn out? We don't know. So what do we do? He says, live boldly into the unknown. It's like every Disney movie ever, right? See if we can prove that from Scripture. First of all, hear the one-liners, you know. No risk, no reward. No pain, no gain. You know, if you, ever, if you never try anything difficult, you'll never accomplish anything great. You know, there's some kind of cliche there. But listen to verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I've told you that uh, the Proverbs are meant to be a thought on, to be chewed on. What's he saying here? If you wait for the perfect condition, you'll never try. You know, if you wait to join a church till you find the very perfect one, guess what? You'll never find one. And if you do, please do not join it because you, by virtue of being there, will make it no longer perfect. You will ruin it. If you're ready for the perfect spouse, you know, you're dating. I'm just going to find Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright. Just perfect. Guess what? It will never happen. He says here, the image is from the farmer. He's caught up in speculation. What's the wind going to do? Is it going to rain? Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Should we sow today? Should Should we sow the seed tomorrow? I don't know. He's caught up. He's passive. He's afraid, the farmer who is passive, who does nothing because of fear of messing up, will not reap the harvest. Maybe tomorrow's better. Maybe maybe the next day. Tries to time it. There is wisdom to, to timing when to sow, right? There's wisdom in knowing when to do things. But the farmer who can't pull the trigger, who is so afraid of making a mistake, that he doesn't take action, the farmer will not eat. One commentator says, For if there is risk in everything, it is better to fail in launching out than in hugging one's resources to himself. Right? The whole image of failure to launch. You know, the 35-year-old living in the parents' basement. You know, come on, buddy. Let's take a chance. Let's go for it. Let's risk. That's what he's saying. You know, the coach says, I don't care if we win or lose the game. Let's be aggressive. Let's go down swinging. Let's lay it on the line. Let's give it all we got, whatever we say. The Christian life will require risk. It will require boldness. It will require stepping out in faith. To live by faith for Christians doesn't mean we do a bunch of spectacular stuff. Um, In fact, it's ordinary things we do every day. It's faithfulness in the day-to-day, its ability to love, to care, to see, to be present. 
But to do those very simple things will require a ton of courage and boldness for us as followers of Jesus. Um, We have to be willing to risk, to love. We have to make hard decisions. We have to step out in faith when it's unpopular. We're called to live boldly, even though disaster might be around the corner. You know, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. It's sobering, right? Are we going to got a plan for work? But we may, who knows? We get a phone call. Maybe there's a car wreck. Maybe we're detour. Who knows? We're going to have to live boldly. Verse one and two speak of the same reality. It says. Uh, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you you know not what disaster may happen on earth. A little confusing here, a disputed image. It seems to be this image of cast your bread on the waters is is an image of commerce. It's an idea of of sending your, your, your resources. And, and sending out a foreign investment, right? Any financial advisor here? Where are you at, John? You're here, right? You, you take your resource and you, uh, you can hold it, but you're not going to make any money with it. So you could send it off to sea, uh, across the ocean, and it might come back an investment. You might come back and make a great reward. You might not. You might lose it. The ship gets wrecked. Uh, they, get, they get, you know, stolen pirates come along. I don't know. It never comes back across the sea. Who knows what's going to happen? But if you sit on it, if you just hold it, you're sure to gain nothing, right? Like our, like our parable of the talents we read. Risk is in everything. To have a profit, you've got to risk. You've got to take a chance. Uh, the commentators pointed to, uh, to Moses and his sister Miriam. Remember that story in Exodus? Pharaoh has said he's going to kill all the little baby boys, right? So Moses, his fam, Moses' family can keep Moses at home, but what's going to happen? He's going to die. Or we could put him in a basket, put him on the river. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe he's going to die. Or maybe, maybe Pharaoh's daughter finds him, right? And he gets brought in and he gets rescued. We know if he stays home, if we play it safe, if we play it guarded, we know the outcome. It's the same image here. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It's going to go across the sea, but maybe in two or three months, you come back up. Man, I got a pretty good return. Eight or nine percent on that. That's nice. It's good. Risk is some reward. The parable of the talents, I read it. One was five, one was given two. They took it and they invested it. They, they risked the money, and look, they came back with a return. But one held it. Listen to what he says. And Jesus says, I'll read part of it again. Who also received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. I didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed. So I just held onto it and I just sat still like this. And, and I, I, it was uncertain. Who knew what the market was going to do? Who knew what was going to happen in life? So I just held onto it. Here, you have what's yours. Here's the one. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered. No, see, what, what's that about, he says? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And in my coming, I should have found, I should have received that was my own with interest. 
To live a faithful life of Christ, risk is needed. That's true with money, right? We've already said that. Um, you can sit on it, nothing's going to happen. Uh, you can put it out there, and you may lose, but you may gain. And every good money manager is what? Trying to manage risk, right? We diversify, we do things to manage risk. But inevitable, any kind of, any kind of investment is a risk. It's stepping out there with boldness. This idea of giving seven or eight portions, it speaks of some level of looking at the, all the opportunities you have. And so I'm not sure what to do, but I'm not just going to stay back. I'm going I'm to give it a chance. I'm going to live into it. I'm going to risk. I'm going to live by faith. You can see that in investments, right? There's a diversification, kind of the idea. As, as uh, somber and somewhat depressing as the preacher has been for 10 chapters, he hasn't thrown in the towel. He still says life is worth living, and we've got to live with boldness and risk. This is true not just in money. This is true in relationships, right? Your relationships require risk. You know, we have the privilege of leaning into relationships with one another. The privilege of dealing with hard things, of dealing with bitterness, of dealing with frustration and anger and forgiveness. We could pull back. We could play it safe. We could stay withdrawn. Many of you, um, not many of you, all of you um, have been hurt in relationships, right? I've been hurt. You've been hurt in dating relationships. Or you've been hurt in friendships. Or you've been hurt at the hands of, uh, of someone in power. Maybe a pastor, you know? Uh, or maybe you've, you've, you've experienced abuse or trauma and, and, and someone took advantage of you or mistreated you. And we've all experienced that. All of those situations are, are unique and they're nuanced and their particularities. But one thing is common about all of them is to overcome that will require, will require risk. Because when you've been hurt and you look at relationships again, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not going over there. <laughs> Last time I was over there, it didn't turn out so good. And so we shut it down and we close it off. It's true for all of us. To live in relationships will require risk. You, you know the famous quote. C.S. Lewis and the Four Loves. Listen to this. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Don't even fall in love with a four-legged creature because it might die. Just stay away. Just stay guarded. Instead, Lewis says, wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, Motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Something about coming in tonight, for some of you, church, you do it. For some of you, it was risky to be here, wasn't it? You might see someone, <laughs> you don't want to be seen, you've had a terrible day, a terrible week. But you came. To come to community is to risk. To speak to someone afterwards is risky. 
To come to a small group, to get involved, to know is risky. To forgive, to ask for forgiveness is risky. To, to talk to a neighbor, you know, that doesn't share your faith and invite them is risky. What if they don't, what if they shut you out? To date again, to love again is risky. Do you know this kind of bold love? Do you know how to risk? We're not very good at it. It's scary. Wisdom of Ecclesiastes is that we're going to have to take risks to live by faith. It's true financially. It's true relationally. It's also true just as a church collectively. Um, I remember Katie and I first had the conversation about church planting. I, I, I liked my job at Grace. It was fine. I, I liked what I did. I liked the people I worked with. Uh, but a heart, my heart, our hearts were growing with a sense of Midtown, a desire to see a, a Christ-centered church planted. The gospel needs to move forward. So we had this desire and this energy, this passion. Let's do it. And then we're like, whoa, but wait a second. We got to raise how much money? <laughs> Say what? We got to raise. That's a lot of money. We got to raise money. We got to move. We've got to leave the comforts to start a, 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 a gather, the small group that's there. Um, we've got to start over. Our kids are settled. They like it. There's kids in the, the children's ministry. We've got we to move. And we're like, I don't know. It's kind of risky. And then we, we talked to the Alfreds, and, and they, were, uh, they wanted to do it. And, and, and they saw the cost, too, and it was scary. And I, I remember talking to a pastor friend, and he, he, he explained the situation. He basically said something like, go for it. <laughs> You know, you, you got one life. The, the gospel needs to expand. Will this church, Christ, church succeed? I don't know. Will it succeed? Will it fail? Will it thrive? We don't know, but we got, let's, let's do it. Let's not be found afraid. Afraid to take a risk. Silent or self-protective. Let's not be guarded and play it safe. Let's risk in relationships. Let's risk collectively in ministry as a church. Let's risk. Not be foolish. Be bold. Will I make mistakes? Have I made mistakes? Yes. Will the leadership make mistakes? Yes. Will you as church members make mistakes, hurt people, fail? Yes, yes, yes. But we have to come to see the, the, the fear of being stagnant, of not trying, of not stepping out is greater than our failure, right? Because if we create a place that's safe, a place of love, a place for forgiveness, then we can take risks with one another. We can take risks and try and explore and adventure together. As a church, we are, are we willing to live by faith and risk? That's the first thing. The second thing he says, uh, uncertain times, lack of control, we are to be bold, not passive. We're also called to live joyfully. I love when Bryce talks to me. I feel like Bryce, it's like a one-on-one today, right here in front. This is so good. This is such a good thing. Bryce risks, doesn't he? Bryce shows up every Sunday. Love it. Verses 7 to 10 is a call to live joyfully. Joyfully. Isn't that weird? The preacher, the somber, you know, the day of death is better than the day of birth, says we're to be joyful. <laughs> As he changed his tune, he's rejoice. Listen to verse 7. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 
So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. What is he saying? The one that has said over and over again, life under the sun is hard. Life under the sun is broken. Life under the sun beats you down. Here he says the sun is good. The light is good. There's life. It's delight. Now, some of you are excited about the warm weather. Some of you, some of you like the summertime, right? Um, you know, shockingly, I'm not a big beach guy, you know? Uh, the, the, the pale skin, the, the dome, right? It doesn't, it's like SPF 4000, you know, just like, I look like a ghost. I just lay there and then I reapply. <laughs> Get in the water. It's, it's not really my thing. Spring's great, fall's great, summer I could do without. But even me, when it was 20 degrees a couple weeks ago, I'm like, Lord Jesus, please bring this time, right? Or maybe this morning, it was cool. Did you, you go outside early this morning? It was kind of chilly, and then it got warm, and it just feels so good right on the skin. It's like, yes, the sun. Ten chapters of life is hard. It's difficult. He says, but the sun is good. There's still joy. There's still life. There's still hope, delight. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice and them all rejoice in the years of your life. These are the years that God has given. As the Lord blesses, receive the blessings and enjoy them. Notice, enjoying life does not mean living in a false reality. Remember, the whole time we've done this book, we've had to keep these things together, right? To say sorrow doesn't mean there's no joy. To say joy doesn't mean we're like happy, smiling, and we don't embrace sorrow. He says this, End of verse 8. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. He couldn't get too far away from it, right? The preacher couldn't be too happy. Enjoy your life, but remember, there are days of darkness. There are days of trial. It's not an either-or proposition. Trials await us. Struggle is there. Darkness, difficulty are still there. The preacher isn't a false prophet. He's not a health, wealth guy. Come to Jesus, everything works out, everything happens, all the relationships come together. You get all the things you want and the little shiny stuff. And if you come to Jesus, you get this. He's not a false teacher, he's a realist. But he knows the living God. And so he says, have joy. When you have a good day, celebrate and enjoy it. But no, there's difficult days. I'm aware. I live on this earth. But enjoy the good ones. Enjoy. It's not a false joy. It's a real joy. He's not talking about a a false happiness that's smiley. It's a fake that's fragile, that could be gone tomorrow. It's conditional. He says it's a mixed bag. But there's lasting, deep joy and life under the sun in the brokenness and the uncertainty because God is there. God is the giver of good gifts. The preacher has learned to live in the tension, to find joy in the ordinary, the day in, the day out. Jesus, uh, Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows. But we experienced Jesus as a man that had joy as well, joy with the disciples. It was for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, right? The worst day in history, the cross was something Jesus looked at and said, I'm going to go there because of joy. Like, I want the delight and the goodness 
through the sorrow and the suffering. He kept them together. We want one or we want the other. And he says they go together. And the, the preacher says the same. They can only come from a life fully fixed and centered with God in Christ. He goes on to see and say the same thing. Rejoice in verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. <laughs> oh, preacher. He's uh, rejoice with a warning. You know, judgment may come. Live life. Take this to heart. Listen to this. Live life. Pursue passions, dreams. Seek in your youth out the joys of life. One commentator says this God's whole creation is a gift. And he has given you the desires and the temperament and the opportunities that you have. So happily do what you desire. It's not hedonism in the contemporary sense. It's not like we think about in the world, just do whatever feels right, feels good. It's not eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what he's saying. Because he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring judgment into uh, God will bring you into judgment. What's he saying? It's actually deeper than hedonism. Hedonism is too shallow. It's surfacy. It's just feel-goods. He wants lasting, deep joy. It's not follow your heart in the contemporary sense of just do whatever feels right. Go this way or go that way, right? It's not toss to and fro in that sense. It's not that. Instead, know your life is accountable before God. Pursue the thing, the things that God has for you. Do you know for each of you, God has deep and rich and meaningful things for your life? Like there are things that you haven't looked into, you haven't explored in your own life that God wants you to explore. Like places of passion, places of creativity, places of purpose. It's not just work, eat, sleep, right? There are places where you're to be alive. It's not just do whatever I want. It's we live before God, we create with a purpose. So under God, with him accountable to him, let's pursue the things that God has. Let's see what God does. It ties into the boldness. We don't stay afraid. We look and we pray, we ask for wisdom, and then we step into things with joy. Pleasure. We do these things as we know God's heart, we know his goodness. See, the, the question of the wise is not, what are all the things in the world I can find pleasure in, you know? What's enjoyable? Let's do it. That's not, that's not the wise. But rather, what are the things God has placed in my heart and mind to do for his purposes? The dark days are still there. In the darkness, what am I uniquely geared to give to the world that brings value to the church, to the glory of Christ, and brings joy to your heart, right? 
don't know, Bethany, you know, you're, you're visiting here. Glad to have you. Uh, when you play and you sing, same with Ashton, there's just joy, right? It's so delightful to watch someone gifted give back or right? give it to the Lord. It's easy to pick on the musicians because they're up here. But we all have things that God's given, that God's wired us for. We face trials, we face difficulty, and yet inside of those things, we have gifts. We have spiritual gifts. We have talents meant to explore, to give back, to find, to see, to dream, to celebrate what God has with a world to explore. One precious life. You just got one, right? We're going to use it. We're going to try it. We're going to play it safe on the couch. Guard it off. No risk. We're going to step out. Some ways the elders last week did that, right? They came forward. and Very gifted men, godly men, but it's risky. They stepped out to lead. Stepped out. Verse, verse 10, finally, remove vexation from your heart and put away from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. Um, what's he saying? He's saying joy. To have joy, we know we're accountable to God. We also know that we got, we got uh, vexation. There's ailments, there's woes, there's struggles. And he's saying they're always going to be with us, but we can focus on those only or we can remove those and see the goodness of God, right? I can be mourning and go outside and say, wow, the sun feels good. Like, life's not great, but this is a great meal, I just ate, right? We don't have to fix on, fixate on the difficulties and the ailments. We can't remove the trials. We can choose not to fix our hearts on them. We can choose to dream. Same with our body. He says, here, put away the pain from your body. The pain can also be translated, put away the evil from the body. There are things that, uh, that we've, we've, in our youth, we've hurt the body, right? We've done things foolishly. You know, old people say, well, I say as an old person, <laughs> your body catches up with you, right? My knee caught up with me last year. The way we treat our bodies matters as we get older. Be wise with your body. Put away the vexations. Put away the ailments. Pursue the things that God has for you with care, with risk. It's boldness. It's joy in the journey. It's not, it's not uh, life's uncertain, so let's be careless and foolish. No, it's not that. It's life's uncertain. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but we know God's called us to live by faith and boldness. And we know God's made us for joy. And so let's ask one another. And let's pray. Let's be wise to say, we live before God. We live for him, for his glory. What are the things I can do to move into, to live into what he's called me to be? That's hard. That's scary. Many of us have bought a lot. I don't have anything to offer. I just want to come and sit. I've been hurt too much, or I don't have anything to give, or whatever message may be. We're called to more. We need to finish. The, the good thing about being on this side of the New Testament, this side of Jesus, is that we know fuller with Jesus, right? Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament's pointing us to these realities, right? Wisdom, boldness, joy. We have Jesus so we can know those things and have it. We scan to know that 
Jesus gives us even more reason for boldness and joy. The truth is we struggle with boldness. We're often cowardly. We struggle paralyzed with fear. Anybody ever had a panic attack and you're just gripped? You're just overwhelmed? We're doing everything we can. We're kicking the street and we're stuck there or, or depression or, or struggle or, or, or whatever it may be. And we're just, we're just, our heart is arrested. We can't move it. The good news is that those things are not the final word. Our, our, our call to live boldly, to live joyfully, ultimately, the final word is not with us. Jesus knows our frailness. He knows our weakness. In him, we do find the freedom to explore and to adventure. It's like the little kids on the playground. I don't care if you put the playground right next to the busiest highway, if you put a big fence around it. right? You've heard the example. The kids are running and jumping and climbing. There's protection. There's safety. If you take the fence away, they're going to huddle around the one piece of equipment, right? There's tons of grass, but they're not going to go. They're you put the fence up. You put the boundary protection, and they run, and they explore. They don't even know their 18-wheelers zooming by. Listen to these words. Jesus says this in John 10 to us, his people. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Can you be bold and fail? Yes, you can. Can you step into joy and fail? Yes, you can. You know why? Because he has you. Because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Because I've already said it, he looked at the cross and he had an option for joy. The joy was through the cross. Before him was the glory of God and you. And he said, I'm going that way. And you can't stop me. And when he accomplishes it in his resurrection, it means we are his. And so now, Christian, though we're scared, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what trials. Maybe we're in them. What's the word? The church might fail. Okay. Jesus has me. The job, the relationship, the struggle, the cancer, he has me. I'm safe. Nothing can separate me from him. No one can snatch me from my father's hands. Which says, be bold. Live. We got one life. Live and in the middle of sorrow and suffering, don't forget the joy. Eat your steak tonight, medium, a little, little, little red wine. Enjoy it. It tastes good. Live boldly live with joy. He has us, right? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, sometimes it feels like we're snatched. We're kind of dangling. We're struggling. But then you reassure us that you have us, you keep us. We can live, uh, we, can in, we can invest like our money, we can invest each other. We can risk again. We can try it again. We can try for joy again. We can, we can try to believe the gospel is true for us. Not just for everybody else, it always works out for them. We can believe it's going to work out in Christ for us because you have us and you hold us and you keep us. I pray we would know it. I pray we would believe it.
pray we trust you for. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the Lord's Supper. We do this weekly. I want to read one verse to you. It pertains to what we just said in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, Corinthian church. He says this, We are treated as imposters, and yet we are true. As, that, as unknown, and yet we are known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet we are not killed. Here it is. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Did you hear that? As believers, we live with that tension. We hold those together. Part of what Ecclesiastes has done, I hope it's done for you, is made us, pushed us to say, I want the wisdom of God. The wisdom that can hold the difficulty and the pain, yet always rejoicing. That he has us, he keeps us. The final word for us is not death because it was Jesus' word. He took it. He absorbed it. He said, it is finished. And he rose again victorious. This is the meal for us. The meal that guarantees our security, our certainty, even in the brokenness of life. It was a night when Jesus was betrayed. He was in the upper room. He took the bread and after giving, thanks, he, he, after giving thanks, he blessed it and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Likewise, he took the cup with his disciples. He says, this cup is the new covenant. It's the new relationship. It's formed in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. The tables for all of those who put their faith in Christ. If you've trusted Jesus, if you've said, you know what, I'm not strong enough or bold enough or enough joy, but my joy is in you, I've trusted you, then take this meal. Come. This is not Christ's Redeemer. This is the table of the living God. Come and take. If you're uncertain, you don't know, let these elements pass. Don't take them in a, a, a magical way. Instead, by faith, believe. Surrender to Him and find life and meaning and joy. Let's pray. Father, we lift up our hearts to you. We lift them up and we give, them, give you thanks for the simple elements of bread and wine, things that point us to the realities of who you are. Things that say, yeah, I can taste it. It's in my taste buds. It's, it's goodness, and that means it's true. The gospel is true for me. God, may we know the goodness today. May we taste and see that you are good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Dwayne's going to be on this side, and Pastor Ryan's going to be over here. We do have new little communion cups here. You may have seen those. A little bit fancier. Supposed to be easier to open. So there you go. I'm tired of seeing some of y'all have to struggle up front. Look, feel free. Uh, for those that don't feel comfortable, feel free to take it in your seat. We totally, that's totally appropriate. There's some back there in the back. There's some in the foyer as well. You can take those at your seat at your own leisure, or you may come forward. Come with your family or friends or those you feel comfortable with at each of these stations, and we'll take these together, and we'll just say a little prayer for you and over you together. So you may come and partake now.